everyone and welcome to another edition of Sports with Yosef. I'm Yosef Masinter and the million dollar question, we all know it, when will Adley Rutschman be in Baltimore? Well coming on to discuss that and more, Mark Viviano from WJZ TV, Channel 13, Baltimore, he covers the Orioles and the Ravens, we'll be talking about Adley Rutschman, the Orioles minor league system, the Baltimore Ravens, some radical changes that Greg Roman is proposing, a whole lot more. So that, that is coming up first. And after that, I'll be talking about an all-time great wide receiver. He has a new team, and a, this team, they've been in the playoffs the last couple of years. They're trying to get to a Super Bowl. They were in the AFC Championship a couple of years ago. Can this player be the difference maker? I'll talk more about that. A running back who brought his team to the Super Bowl. Well, he has just visited the Baltimore Ravens. Will he sign? Should he sign? Who would he be kicking out of a job? I'll discuss more about that, all that coming up, and much, much more on Sports with Yosef. Coming on today to talk Baltimore sports, it's Mark Viviano. Mark covers the Orioles and Ravens for WJZ TV Channel 13 Baltimore. Mark, thanks for coming on and giving me your time. How you doing? Doing well. It was nice meeting you at the ballpark. In fact, it's just nice to, to be at the ballpark and seeing fans and being able to mingle. And uh, I'm glad you introduced yourself and uh, happy to be talking with you. Yeah, thanks so, so much for not just blowing me off. Um, <laughs> that wouldn't be that wouldn't be my style but uh you know it, it's always good to you uh especially with young people you know I, I i was you at one point you know looking for uh opportunities and thoughts and 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 just anything that had to do with getting into a business that uh i've now done for 35 years so i'm glad to pay it forward as they say i really appreciate it the orioles well, the, the, the night we met, they won 10-3. Next night, they got blown out by the Mets. <laughs> kind of rocky. Still in the middle of this rebuild. But some of the long-term pieces have started making their way up into the big leagues. One of those guys, Cedric Mullins, he's been electric both with his glove and his bat. But no one's perfect. What's the next thing Mullins needs to work on? That's a great question. Uh, consistency. He, he's played now every game this season, and they've played 61 games. That's the most games he's played in any major league season. And this is his fourth major league season. So as you know, baseball is a protracted season. It's a long haul. So what, what we need to see or what he will want to do is to prove that over the course of six months in 150 plus games, because he'll probably get a few off that uh, he can be this guy that he's showing now. And that's, you know, Buck Walter always said that, the biggest leap maybe in sports is from the minor leagues to the big leagues and that, that big league uh, competition and the big league season uh, it's a, it's a great determinant of who is uh, who belongs and who doesn't uh, what Mullins has done now uh, for the first two months is certainly notable. It's the best he's ever played. It's the most he's ever played. And now can he continue to do it? Uh, as far as specific things, you know, you know, one thing that is notable about him being a center fielder, he does not have uh, a plus arm. And we have seen other teams run first to third, second to home on balls to center field, um, not afraid of being thrown out. That's probably not going to change for him. Uh, you know, that's not something you can make much better. So if there is a, you know, a fault in his game, uh, which, as you chronicled, is otherwise uh, incredibly strong, that might be it. But uh, 
we'll see over the long haul if he can keep it up. That'll be the thing to watch out for. Consistency is really important. And guy who's been, I mean, very consistent over the last couple of years. I know a little rocky last year, but John Means made his first All-Star game 2019. Got a no-hitter this year. I think he's in the Cy Young conversation. Whether or not he wins it will depend on consistency down the stretch. But he's only one guy in the rotation. Who else is ready to come up and be part of a Baltimore rotation that's looking to get back to the playoffs? Yeah, I, I think there are there are some guys to be you know to have an eye on uh, right now in the minor league level. Uh, I think Michael Bauman is one. He's uh, he went through some injury. Um, he's a guy that's probably ticketed for uh, being up here at some point. You know, it, it, the longer range, it's not going to be this year, but the sterling prospect in the organization pitching wise is Grayson Rodriguez recently promoted to double a buoy. Um, and he is the, I think he's the highest rated pitching prospect in baseball right now. Certainly is with the Orioles. I think he's the 11th rated prospect in the latest rankings that came out and all the players ahead of him are position players. So that's some, that's uh, high praise. And, you know, he's now we're going to see how consistently well he can pitch at the double A level, but wouldn't be surprised if next year is the time at some point that we start to see him. So, yeah, but you mentioned John Means and, you know, Means is a, is a classic example of a guy who was never a number one prospect. He was never a big prospect. He's also a guy who just a couple of years ago was pondering walking away from baseball like it wasn't going to happen for him. And he got a call late in the season that they needed uh, some arms to fill out the season. And then he was a surprise, uh, surprisingly made the roster uh, the following year and then made the all-star game. And now look at him, as you mentioned, he's pitched uh, so well. Unfortunately, the, the injury setback, which is not a, a structural issue, but a fatigue issue with his shoulder, which is something he has dealt with now, uh, I think three or four seasons in a row. That bears watching in terms of uh, his continued progress. But you're right. He has fashioned himself uh, certainly the best on this team and one of the best in baseball. You mentioned um, the MLB prospect rankings. I have curiosity. How much credence do you give them? Some. You know, there are those who study it and, you know, talk to the general managers and, and, and the minor league coaches. And I, and I want to give them credit for the amount of um, research they do to compile them. But I think the, the point of your question is, what does it really mean? Well, it's a, it's a relative measure of expectancy. How about that? <laughs> it's not, there's nothing, there's nothing in concrete about it at all. It's, uh, it, you know, it, it can create conversation. It can create excitement. Uh, it can give teams, um, you know, sort of uh, something to use in terms of promoting their future. But no, there's nothing official about it. There's nothing uh, guaranteed about it for sure. It is a it's an interesting conversation point, just like anything else we do with rankings. Right. I mean, that's kind of a thing in the sports world. We like lists. We like to rank, you know, uh, who we think is the best. And ultimately, it's an opinion. But in, 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 in many cases, it's an opinion based on uh, insight and, and some strong observation and some statistical facts, too. So 
I wouldn't dismiss it completely, but I think you are right to ask of its credence um, to kind of keep in perspective what we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, it's, it's tough when you rank uh, two different items because while one could technically be better, is it because of the guy that they've been hitting against and or been pitching against? <laughs> it's just so so many different factors that that can go into it and make it a whole lot of fun to do. If we're being honest, yeah. Another Orioles prospect who I know Baltimore has been really clamoring to see, Ali Rutschman. Is this his <laughs> year where we're going to see him in September? No, I don't think so. I don't think that would serve him or the club much good. Um, I'm not saying it's impossible. Um, he is playing very well at the A level. I think the thing to keep in mind for all of these guys, and it's something that Mike Elias has repeated that the loss of a minor league season last year was a significant setback for an organization that is currently in the midst of a rebuild in which every year is the next block to build. And they didn't get that year. That year's not coming back. You can't redo that. That's, it is what it is. And I think that year that they missed, although they were able to go to the, to the alternate site and, you know, work with coaches and play intra-squad games, it's not the same of a full season of competitive baseball against an, an opponent who's not your teammate. So they're still, I think, determined to fill that gap for those players who still need the seasoning prior to a major league uh, promotion. And I think Rutschman's in that category. I would be surprised if they called him up in September. Um, I just don't know, you know, we see where the team is now. They have the worst record in the American league. No surprise, not for lack of effort. It's part of their design, actually, uh, having him up here at this point, he's probably better served to continue to work with those young pitchers like Grayson Rodriguez with whom he will be playing in the big leagues as opposed to coming up and catching Matt Harvey, for instance, uh, if he's still with the club at that point. So I think he's best served to stay down there, but we'll see what Michael Elias thinks. Yeah, it, it, I, I had forgotten really about that impact of a lost year. And I, I think that I'm not alone in that regard just because we got to see baseball. And yeah. it, it was just long year. Definitely time did not seem to go fast there. Is there one player who you saw take a real step forward despite um, not playing for a year? That's a good question. Yeah, I'll, I'll probably go with Rutschman and how well he is playing um, at the AA level. And remember, too, he's the number two. If we go back to those rankings, he's the number two ranked prospect in all of baseball. So he is that good. Um, at least he's expected to be that good. Um, so the fact that he's playing well um, shouldn't be surprising. And I'm not saying it's surprising, but it is so good, uh, which probably led to your question, we'll be seeing it, see him in September. Um, and I had a chance to chat with him uh, prior to the start of the season in Bowie about not having competitive baseball, probably for the first time in his life since he was a little kid. <laughs> Uh, and it was certainly something he missed. 
And again, him being back on track and obviously feeling he's back in his uh, natural element and, and flourishing and doing all those things that um, you would expect. Now, that being said, as well as he's playing, uh, the game of baseball is humbling. And he's had, you know, games where he's gone 0 for 5 with four strikeouts. Uh, so that's part of it, too. And part of the maturation process or the learning process is to overcome a bad night or a bad game, which I have no doubt he's capable of. He's a bright guy. He's very uh, self-aware. He understands the game. But I think that's part of why you need that continued seasoning, because when you get to the big leagues, there'll probably be more of those 0 for 4, 0 for 5 games uh, just by the nature of the game. Um, and, you know, you know, part of getting ready for that is to understand how to manage it. Yeah, a guy who he he wants to get to the big leagues, and in due course he will. A guy who's been in the big leagues and probably shouldn't be Chris Davis. Is this the end of Chris Davis in Baltimore? I think so. Um, that uh, you know the injury that uh, has wiped out his 2021 season. He has another year left on his contract. It's just been uh, for a team that's in the midst of uh, you know completely reshaping its direction. And it's and it's roster. It's just uh, it's unfortunate uh, for the for the franchise. Um, it was a bad deal. It was uh, it was one that though that and you can tell me among your friends who are fans, many people wanted him to resign. Many people wanted the Orioles and clamored that they keep him. I know he had. Saying. Yeah, he he had done what he had done. Um, you know, leading the, the, the league with, you know, you have 50 home run seasons. And it was uh, soon after signing that contract that we saw him bottom out uh, athletically, uh, baseball wise. And that's hard to swallow um, in a team that's watching its budget so closely to have so much still owed to somebody who isn't playing or isn't playing well. Is, and, and I say that. I like Chris. I've gotten to know him over the years and he's a good person. It's a very charitable person. Uh, he cares. Uh, and unfortunately his demise as a ball player has led many to, you know, kind of criticize him personally, which I get it's part of the game. It's part of it's, it's, it's the nature of the, you know, the, the big money sport that he plays in. But, uh, to answer your question, I, I I can't imagine a scenario in which he is playing for the Orioles next year. I just can't. Is he an Orioles Hall of Famer? I mean, he, he had those that great start and then bottomed out recently. He brought the team to the playoffs. I mean, 2012, 14, yeah. and 16. Is that enough? Well, and remember, in 14, right, he, he was, he was uh, yeah, he was suspended for the last month and didn't play in the playoffs. Listen, he made his mark. To your point, he made his mark. Uh, did he do so to a Hall of Fame level for the club? I think that might be a difficult argument to make. Um, probably not, but you know, I'm not big into Hall. I I, I do vote uh, for the Orioles Hall of Fame. Uh, that's the first time I even thought of that. You asking the question, so good question. <laughs> Uh, I guess it's one I'll have to give more thought to uh, if and when that time comes. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that one goes down. Another 
qu- um, question I'm interested about, Brandon Hyde, I I feel he's really gotten the guys to buy into his system. They're definitely overperforming, uh, really um, specifically last year. Is he going to be the guy who's going to be in charge of um, this team when the Orioles are back to contending? First of all, I agree with you that he's doing a terrific job. I think his messaging, because he, I mean, he's the public spokesman for the team. He addresses the media before and after every game. That in itself is, that's 320 press conferences in six months. I mean, that's that's every day, twice a day. Uh, and I think he messages, carries the message, uh, shares the message very effectively. I think he, and he gets why he was hired. Okay, I think he shows the appropriate level of frustration when things aren't going well, when those things are fundamental or mental errors, which no matter how young your team may be or the other team has more talent than you, you still got to play. In fact, you have to play a game better than them. You just have to, you, you don't, you have less margin for error, let's say. So when those errors or mistakes add up, you should be frustrated. And I think he addresses those moments properly. I think he is very encouraging of his players, especially his young players. He is a player's manager. You know, you hear that phrase. He's uh, he's players first. He's a guy who played, I think, four or five years in minor league baseball, never made the big leagues, uh, but has always been one who has been sort of a teacher. He was in player development. And I think that makes him perfectly suited for this role with this team. Uh, and I think he was a good hire by Mike Elias. As far as where he goes with this moving forward, uh, it's a fair question as to whether he will be that guy. You know, I think of a guy who is one of his mentors, Joe Madden. Madden was, you know, sort of a similar track guy uh, with the Anaheim Angels when he was hired away by the Tampa Bay Rays, suffered through some bad seasons initially before the Rays were playing in a World Series uh, with him in charge. And I think he, you know, he, he since is now the manager back in Los Angeles with the Angels. But, you know, Hyde could be that kind of guy, I think. I think he could be that guy. We'll see if Michael Elias thinks so. But uh, it's really hard. I mean, managers get judged by wins and losses. But when you're managing a, a rebuilding team, you know, there, there almost has to be a, an evaluation asterisk about what he's working with and what these wins and losses mean uh, when you're rebuilding. So uh, we'll see, but I, I, I give him a high grade to this point for sure. Well, a million dollar question for the Orioles. When will they be contending in the ultra competitive <laughs> AL East? It's not this year. It's not next year. The year after, or is that going to be still be too soon? No, I think that's a realistic way to look at it. Um, if you're talking 2023, 24, I think that's realistic on any unspoken timeline. Michael Elias will never give you a, you know, a date, but you know he's got expectations in his mind of when that will be. And I think that's a fair point to say 2023. Uh, could be that time. And if you look at, you know, the kind of the recent run of teams 
that have done this. Uh, when you look at the the Astros and the Cubs, you're now seeing the White Sox, um, and they've done it differently. The White Sox and the Padres have kind of done it differently. You know, they they actually had some uh, bigger contracts to to some good players that worked, and they've gotten young, but they've gotten better. And then the Padres obviously suddenly have an unlimited uh, payroll, it seems. But they're not going to give you a date, but I. The thing, and you asked the question, competitive in the American League East, the hardest thing about this Orioles rebuild, in my opinion, is that they're in the American League East. Because the Tampa Bay Rays, who we've already talked about, the Tampa Bay Rays seem to rebuild every year, but they're good. And in fact, they have the best record in the American League right now, and they were in the World Series last year. And they don't have any big money guys. They have an incredible system of finding players, developing players, and they can even trade Willie Adamas and still be good. I mean, they're remarkable. So there's them before you even begin the discussion of the up and coming Toronto Blue Jays, look at the prospects they have and the Boston Red Sox and New York Yankees who have unlimited revenues and will always outspend the Orioles. So even if the Orioles do the best possible rebuild job, They're still in the American League East. And that, to me, is going to be the hardest part about them seeing this through. Yeah, I think they did gain an advantage, though, in their rebuild by being the AL East, where they're guaranteed to lose a whole bunch of games to the Yankees, a whole bunch of games to the Rays, and get better draft picks because of it. Good point. During the rebuild, it is to their advantage. Switching over to the Baltimore Ravens, a discussion point which I've been intrigued by, and I'd love to hear your opinion on Marquise Brown is switching his jersey number from 15 to 5, which was Joe Flacco's old number. I mean, should that have even been possible? What do you think? Uh, it's, it's interesting how, you know, the, the league, basically, I'm sure your listeners are aware, it, you know, the league had some strict rules relative to what uniform numbers certain positions could wear. And then they relaxed those rules so that players could pretty much wear any number, regardless of position, which led to a lot of guys changing their numbers. Um, So it's allowed. Now, should it be that a guy like Marquise of limited experience can take a number of a guy who was a Super Bowl MVP well, I'll let Joe Flacco answer that question himself. And he said he didn't give it a second thought. And it's just a number. And he's fine with that. He's, he said, you know, I've, I've heard guys say, you're just using it while you got it. And someone else can have it when you're done with it. Now, that being said, I think there might be other numbers, like 52, <laughs> that might be considered more off limits. You know what I mean? When you're in the Hall of Fame and you're you're talking about Ray Lewis, you know, maybe you don't use that number. But, uh, you know, I don't have a problem with it. It certainly was a conversation starter and, and something like we're talking about right now. I don't have it. It didn't didn't bother me, but it, it certainly caught my attention and it didn't bother Joe. And that's the most important part, I guess. Yeah, Joe, Joe's fine with it back in his hometown in Philly. We'll see if he gets any playing time this year. But the Ravens at their quarterback position announced that they want to move Lamar Jackson to play more under center in 2021. 
Last year, uh, the Ravens quarterbacks were under center 3% of the time. And while they're announcing they want to make that number a lot higher, I don't like it. I think it limits RPOs, it limits the zone reads, and it limits what Lamar Jackson excels at. Am I missing something here? No, um, I think, remember this. If they say they're going to do it more, that doesn't mean they're going to do it all the time. Because you, as you put, mentioned, they did it less than anybody. There's still going to be a pistol-based formation for the most part. You might see more of Lamar under center, but you're going to see most of Lamar in that same formation. And the football people that I've talked to believe that when he is under center, it's actually more confusing for defenses and easier for him to hide the ball in the RPO with a running back who's getting a start toward the line of scrimmage. In the pistol, it's handoff and go. Under center, it's momentum coming on a handoff if he hands it off. And that momentum could draw more defenders to that running back. And if Lamar keeps it, might have more room to go uh, with you know, that RPO that he keeps. So it's designed for deception. Uh, and that is the goal of it. But don't think you're going to be seeing it a lot. You're going to see most of what you've already are used to and what he's used to doing. You'll just see a little more of him under center. All right. So the Ravens will still be able to run like the RPOs and stuff with Lamar's because when you're running back from under center, your head's normally not facing the defense. So how, how would you be able to pull that, pull that off to be able to still get some of those option plays or is it going well, to be you're... designed from beforehand? Yeah, it's, these are, these are designed plays. I mean, he basically he's walking up, but if he's, if he's, six to eight feet back in pistol he walks up whatever that six or eight feet he's still facing the same direction it's just different angles by which he would be handing off or stepping to keep the ball and or throw the ball i mean that's really the only thing and and again there are some who believe it's more deceptive when you're up close but again i'll say you're not going to see it that much you'll just see it more than you did which was three percent of the time right so good thing the ravens offense is evolving ravens they're i mean people are talking about them for playoffs and beyond but to make that happen guys are gonna have to step up which player on the ravens needs to take the, uh, the biggest step for the ravens to be going to the afc championship or beyond you know i think first of all it all starts with the quarterback and you've got an mvp caliber top-level quarterback who still, to some degree, and admittedly by him, still has to prove that he can be a passing threat when he has to. He's incredibly efficient when he wants to, but you know when you put yourself, when you start thinking about the playoff games that they've lost, you start thinking about being behind, which it seems like they never are, and when you're de- behind and you have to throw and the pressure's on to do so, can you? Can that offense execute? And it starts with the quarterback. I'm not saying it's all him, but it starts with him. And his receivers, obviously, are a big part of that. Um, I think there's going to be some 
you know, some significant eyes on how they rushed the passer this year on defense uh, without Matthew Judon. And who's going to be that guy? Have they, will they maybe still sign that guy, you know, in somebody like Justin Houston? Um, Who knows if that's going to happen? So there's, I think there's concerns with the passing offense and the passing defense in terms of pass rushing. But I think to your initial point, there's every reason to anticipate they are, they are and will be a playoff team. Again, they're that good. What's interesting, and, and maybe you gather this as, you know, in your interaction with your friends who may be fans, it's almost like it gets to the point like, oh, we know you're a playoff team. You got to win playoff games, plural. You got to get to that AFC title game and or Super Bowl. And that's what that's what the players are saying and thinking. I don't, nobody's satisfied with, you know, making the playoffs. But there's another step. You know, they, they, all right, they beat Tennessee last year before losing to Buffalo. There's a step. What's the next step? Will they make it this year? Well, we shall see, Mark. I like to end interviews with a prediction, and I should warn you here, there's actually a pretty impressive track record of predictions on this show, So, but no pressure. When will Lamar Jackson deliver on his draft day promise to bring a Lombardi trophy to Baltimore? Wow, that's good. That's really good. Okay, if I have to predict, because you put me on the spot, I will say... 2022 you heard it here with his new with his new contract new contract new ring sounds great that is mark viviano mark really appreciate your time and thanks for doing this joseph it's my pleasure and i wish you the best uh congratulations on graduation and best of luck in israel thank you that was mark viviano wjz tv channel 13 baltimore covers the orioles and the ravens big thank you for coming on as yeah we as it came up we met at camden yards less than a week ago um from when i'm publishing this podcast and he was very nice and immediately agreed to come on the podcast so big thank you there okay so i realized that i had forgotten that when one of my questions was talking about how lamar jackson can't really do the zone read the rpo from under center and I'm going to stand by that to an extent. The other part which I've forgotten is in the three-step drop back. So when you're doing play action from under center, generally your bat, your your head is facing the running back. And you, so you're not looking at the defense. But there are ways, and, and you'll see some guys do this, especially on a three-step drop, where you can still look at the field. You're just going to be backpedaling not looking where you're going. Now that's going to be really tough to do zoning from an RPO. I don't know that from a that you're going to be able to pull off those plays from there. But yeah, Orioles increasing that. Excuse me, Ravens increasing that just a little bit, trying to add some more complexity in it to the Ravens' offense. So before we go on, I just want to remind you to check out all of the other episodes of Sports with Yosef as well as checking out all of my videos on Sportscasters. So in about, I'm not, I don't have the exact timeline down. I'm hoping about a week, week and a half from when this episode comes out, I am going to be releasing 
the Ravens-Browns Week 14 Deep Dive. It'll be available on my website, yosefm613.com, on Sportscaster, sportscastr.com, username yosefm613, or on my YouTube channel. And this is going to be going through the coach's film of every play of the Ravens-Browns Week 14 2020 game. I mean, this was the game of the year. And I'm going to break down, explain what happened, why it happened, should it have happened, who messed up, who excelled. It's going to be a lot of fun. So keep an eye out for that. And you can actually get an email update when I release that by subscribing to my email list on my website, yosefm613.com. You can subscribe right on the homepage. And it really makes it easy for you. Email update right in your inbox as soon as I release it. And again, that'll be within about about 10 days from when this podcast comes out. Um, also, make sure when you're on my website to check out all my articles, which I, I read for Flurry Sports, Tackler, Sportscaster, News Rocky, and Mice D. They're all on my website, though. Again, yoscfm613.com. And if you're on Twitter, I'd really appreciate it if you could give me a follow username, yosefm613. So, Todd Gurley is visiting the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Gurley, a huge part of the Rams' um, run to the Super Bowl, albeit he was injured in the Super Bowl. He was one of the most dominant backs in the league. He was a great pass catcher. He is a great runner, part of that zone read Sean McVay system out there in L.A. And then he was cut, went to the Falcons, and he is now visiting Baltimore, maybe looking for a job for the Ravens. And Gurley's a phenomenal runner. The issue is, is he's had some real injury issues, and the question is, how good would he still be? And that's why the Ravens are letting him try out, seeing what they think he is, where he is right now. Gurley would not come in and be the number one. He wouldn't probably even be the number two. He'd be the number three. What Gurley would do would also pretty much slam the door shut on a Justice Hill making the team in 2021. Justice Hill is a phenomenal special teamer, but he's really not done anything as a running back. Whether in the running game, whether in the passing game, he's a decent pass blocker. I mean, so the Ravens use him as a third down back, but his time is done in Baltimore, and, and this could be part of that. The Ravens will not keep four running backs along with at least a fullback. I mean, and with Ben Mason, it could be they want to try to keep two fullbacks, though Mason can kind of play tight end as well. The Another issue with this Tom Gurley coming in to visit is that there's a salary cap issue. How much is he willing to be paid? Because the Ravens do not have a lot of extra money. Is he willing for a minimum contract, 500000 something like that, for one year? I don't know. If Gurley's willing and the Ravens coaches see the potential, then yeah, I think it's worth it, even just for them to get a longer look at him during training camp, which is starting soon. So there's a lot of reasons to like this. I was kind of surprised that the Ravens of all teams think they need more running back help, but that, that I think... Look, you're going to run the ball more than anyone. And the Ravens like to run by rotation. No Mark Ingram. Maybe Tom Gurley can make an impact. So I should explain why I've not done a podcast. And what are we talking about now? Probably two months. And there's actually a very good reason. So I had a couple which I was meant to do. So what happened? Well, a funny story. The night of the draft, the day, excuse me, the day before the draft. So my last podcast was March 25th to April, maybe about two and a half months ago. And I was meant to do one, the, I was meant to do one right around the draft. And I had a, a, I also had some trouble lining up guests. And I've just been writing so much that I've not had that much content for th this podcast. 
And so I've been trying to mainly do it off guests. And I've had times where I've I wanted to do content. I've wanted to put stuff out. But literally the night before the draft, my computer broke. And it took about three weeks before I could broadcast again to, to both have a computer, to be able to hook up microphones to it. It was a huge ordeal. So that actually took me a long way. And then I, um, as, as Mark mentioned, I'm graduating this year. So I had, I had a whole bunch of finals and stuff I had to do for that. And that kind of took precedence. So that's the long story short. But yeah, I mean, the, my computer breaking literally the night before the NFL draft. Not a lot of fun because I was planning on trying to broadcast a draft like I did last year, trying to get some guys to come on, had a whole bunch of things lined up, and then I was like, oh my goodness, this computer is done for. It just would not turn on. So that is a long story short about what happened there. So moving on to the NFL, something that happened during, I mean, really right before the NFL draft, which I wanted to talk about on, on this show want to talk about for a while now I'm finally able to do it which is Aaron Rodgers requesting saying he does not want to play in Green Bay anymore I mean so you've got two options if you're the Green Bay Packers and right now you're kind of playing a game of trying to see who's willing to hold out longer Aaron Rodgers he does not like the front office organization in Green Bay they've not helped him out at all in multiple regards starting with the fact that they consistently have not gotten him weapons to work with. I don't know if Matt LaFleur is a good coach or a bad coach. I do know that he had some rough play calling in the NFC Championship and probably cost the Packers a shot at the Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers wants out. He wants to be traded. Teams like the, the Raiders, the Broncos, some other teams have been thrown around. It'll be interesting to see where he goes if he gets traded. Aaron Rodgers coming off an MVP. No MVP, I believe, has ever been traded the year after they win the MVP. It just doesn't happen. Aaron Rodgers, how much longer does he want to play? He probably wants to get one more ring. And he's playing lights out. He really is. And I do think the Matt LaFleur system really helps Aaron Rodgers win that MVP. I mean, just a couple of things, especially throwing in the red zone, which really helps rack up some touchdown numbers. But with that aside, and I, I don't know if reconciliation is possible. And it might be. But to make it happen... They'd probably have to make some huge changes in the front office. I just, I again, I just don't have a sense if it's possible or not. But that'll be interesting to see because we're talking about one of the best quarterbacks to ever um, step on an NFL field, and he is kind of available. What are we talking about in the trade package? Three first rounders, four first rounders. I mean, this would be a huge trade. And if I'm a team like the, the Las Vegas Raiders, and I could get Aaron Rodgers. I would for sure think I've got a shot at the Super Bowl. I think you've got a shot at the throwing the Chiefs. Yeah, you pulled, I'd pull the trade for four first-rounders. I think we've seen teams like the Rams, really. They have been one of the teams who have been saying, we don't really value first-rounders like the rest of the league. We're willing to trade everything, give away our first-rounders. We want talent. And I think it's a different way to go, and I think it's part of man managing the salary cap. But this Aaron Rodgers situation, so you've got a quarterback here. This would completely shift everything about about the NFL. I mean, what's Jordan Love going to be doing? If Is Jordan Love the guy in Green Bay? Would he be the player, the quarterback who would be taking over for Aaron Rodgers? Is he ready yet? I doubt it. Well, how would it change the division, the playoff picture? A whole lot's going to change if Aaron Rodgers moves because the Packers are in the playoffs because of Aaron Rodgers. They're in the NFC Championship because of Aaron Rodgers. They don't have a lot of receivers around them. They don't have a great defense. 
it's all about number 12. And really, there are very few teams like that where they just don't have many pieces around them and their quarterback just takes them. I mean, and it's every year. And every year the front office fails, Aaron Rodgers. But it'll be interesting to see where Aaron Rodgers goes. But another perennial great was was traded. Julio Jones traded to the Tennessee Titans um, for a second and a fourth rounder. The Titans sent back a sixth rounder to Atlanta. Atlanta in the process of a rebuild. They've tried avoiding a full rebuild, and, well, now they're going to have to go through with it. So Julio Jones going to a team that has made the playoffs. They have played the Ravens the last two years in the playoffs, beat the Ravens in 2019, lost to the Ravens in 2020. He's going to be going one with A.J. Brown. Now, a couple of interesting pieces. Arthur Smith, the head coach of the Falcons, former offensive coordinator of the Titans. So he went from the Titans to the Falcons. And a lot of people were questioning Ryan Tannehill's success. How much of that was off of Arthur Smith? But now Julio Jones coming in. Working with guys like A.J. Brown and Corey Davis, that is a really strong offense. The issue is going to be their defense. The issue with Tennessee is how good is their defense because their defense is not that good. Now, it happens to match up very well with the Baltimore offense, but if they're not playing Baltimore, they're in trouble because their defense is not going to be able to win in a, in a must-win game against a top team. But this does, this trade absolutely makes Tennessee a top team. Now the question is, can Julio Jones stay on the field? Can Julio Jones perform? He used to be one of the best receivers in the league. He is a top, he's a future Hall of Famer. He's made highlight real play after highlight real play, and he's going to make some in Tennessee as well. But how much of an impact will he have? This is like, almost like an Antonio Brown situation where, what's he going to be doing? How much can you get out of Julio Jones? If you're Mike Vrabel and the Tennessee Titans, it's going to give Ryan Tannehill a big name target. It's going to give them a lot of attention. They've got some. The Titans got some issues on the offensive line. They've got some issues defensively. To make a Super Bowl, they've got to fix some of those issues because Julio Jones is not the magical piece which will take them to a Super Bowl. But if their defense can play well, they're definitely in the conversation right now with this Julio Jones trade, and they've definitely stolen the media spotlight. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye on that as well. This is something that probably has always happened in baseball. Not very secretly, but kind of secretly, substance abuse. And no, I do not mean drugs. I actually mean that pitchers use different sticky materials, uh, the latest one's been spider tack, to coat baseballs and get more rotations, um, get the ball to spin more. So as the data, this data revolution has overtaken the MLB, we have really found out that higher spin rates make it very, very tough for batters to hit the ball. A guy like Koji Uhara didn't throw all that hard, had phenomenal spin rates, and the ball looked like it was 98 miles an hour. Spin rates are a huge part of the modern game. It's a big reason why batting averages are, an, are at a, really pretty much an all-time low. Home, home runs are down this year because they made some changes to the baseball, but strikeouts are up. And Garrett Cole was asked about this and does he use it and, and he did not he pretty much he said everything but yes he refused to say i mean he, he wasn't gonna lie he, he didn't say no but he uses it everyone uses it trevor bauer tried wanted to make a point i believe it was 2019 it might have been 2020 and for one inning his rpm jumped about 300 rotations for one inning and he had talked about how he was going to make a point it was one inning only. 
Now, obviously, they never proved that it was that he used it, but it was kind of obvious. Yes, he used these substances for one inning, showed their potency, and then stopped because he he didn't want he didn't think doubt should be part of the game. And it, the MLB recently they ejected a guy from the game because they caught him with substances. It's happening more and more often. They're trying to clamp down on it. They really are. But should they? Should they clamp down on it? Because we're talking about a projectile that is being thrown 60 feet and 6 inches, 90 plus miles an hour. We might you even see triple digits right now. And Pete Alonso, uh, the Mets slugger, came out and said, uh, keep doing what you're doing, pitchers. I understand that it's tough for us to hit, but it, it creates an element of safety. They're able to control the ball more. So you've got hitters who like it. You've got hitters who don't like it. Every team is pretty much every team has some guys who are using it, and the guy who actually created Spider Tech, which was for rock lifting weightlifting and lifting big rocks, uh, he said he's starting to get orders now from MLB teams. And the Wall Street Journal asked on which teams he refused to comment, but he's shipping this to MLB stadiums. Teams are not trying to hide it, but the MLB is trying to clamp down. They're saying it'll be 15 game suspensions for those caught. And I'm kind of torn about this because you want to be able to control the baseball. You want to be able to make sure that the ball's not going to slip out of your hand because that's really what it comes down to. The ball will can slip, will sometimes slip out of your hand, but with this spider attack and if you're doing this substance thing, it's going to slip out just a little bit less. Now, is this something that the MLB needs to say, you're never going to be able to use this again, we are going to clamp down? Or is this something that the MLB needs to say, you know what, we don't really care. We're just going to continue to look the other way. And if you're going to continue to look the other way, then you should allow it for everyone. Now, I don't think the MLB wants to look the other way because I do think that this is definitely contributing to an all-time low in batting averages along with a sh uh, defensive shift and stuff like that. But I don't think the MLB wants to look the other way because their product has become a lot less interesting. They're losing fans because there is no action. And this is going to be an issue. So I think they're going to clamp down on it. Now, does this mean that hit-by-pitches are going to go down because of this control? Well, actually, no. Hit-by-pitches are as high as they've ever been. There's been no difference in hit-by-pitches because of the spider attack. So you've got to wonder, from a batter safety perspective, does it really make a difference? And I think that'll be part of the things that the MLB is going to try to look at. Right now, they're saying they're going to clamp it down. But if every team and every pitcher is using it, what do you do? Umpires are going to say they'll start enforcing it. But like everyone, you can't just eject everyone. You can't suspend everyone. Meanwhile, a guy like Jacob deGrom, who's got a .56 ERA, well, I mean, what he's doing is unreal up in New York. And... I don't know if he uses it or not, uh, but I mean, pitchers are, are pitching as well as they ever have, and part of that is be just because of the specialization. They're able to get training when they're much younger. They're pitching more when they're younger. They're getting a lot more opportunities, and they're getting more experience before they come into the big leagues. That's definitely part of it as well, but pitchers are, are dominating hitters more than ever before. It'll be interesting to see how the MLB tries to crack down on this. Can they crack down on this? And what the reaction is going to be from players and, and coaches. Because managers and players and coaches are saying, okay, leave us alone. We want to do this.
So you got to wonder if the owners are going to try to say, okay, maybe in the offseason they'll, they'll say, you know what, uh, Rob Manfred, we, we appreciate what you're doing here, but we're going to just either look the other way or make it official. We'll see. And I don't know if they will because it, it really does ruin their product. It, it makes the product a whole lot less interesting. And I happened to be at an Orioles game the other day where there were the score was like 10-3. Most games are 2-1. It's very few hits. Very few balls put in play. Strikeouts record high. You know what? And, and it really is ruining the product. People my age are not interested in baseball because there's very little action. And the MLB is going to try to stop that. Can they? Well, we shall see. All right, thanks for listening to this edition of Sports with Yosef. I'm Yosef Center, and I'll see you next time.